Welcome to the Dark Horse Paranormal Podcast. I am Chris Carr. In the second episode, we're going to talk all things Lizzie Borden. I've got an interview for you guys with a house psychic at the Lizzie Borden Bed and Breakfast in Fall River, Massachusetts. Her name is Lucky Bell Camino. I actually just finished up a uh, public investigation of the, the bed and breakfast there in Fall River at the Lizzie Borden house uh, just the other night. And um, it was hosted by Lucky, and it was also hosted by uh, Jack Kenna and Ellen McNeil of Spirits of New England, who you might remember I interviewed in episode one while they were in Gettysburg. Uh, it was really fantastic. Uh, we were doing things like, you know, reenactments, trying to bring about activity, uh, some awesome spirit box sessions. Um, and my favorite part was the table tipping. I uh, got to try my hand there. Uh, I got to see uh, Jack Kenna channeling the spirit of Lizzie Borden while t- table tipping, which was something to see. Um, Lucky is also the founder of the New England Paranormal Society, which she has uh, graciously invited me to join. So I'll keep you guys in a loop with that as investigations happen and uh, what's going on. Um, a little later on, we're going to talk about some of the data I've been collecting I've got some spirit box stuff for you, and I've got some uh, recordings of sessions I've done at my own residence um, that were pretty off the hook. So uh, enough so that I actually uh, brought in via Skype my very good friend and uh, host of the show Tripping the Void on the WBHM Digital Network, uh, Seraphine Hurley. Uh, She got to be a witness to some of the the crazy activity that was going on, and uh, I talked with her a little bit. Uh, about it recently and um, I'll play uh, some of that inner stuff from the sessions and what her reactions were so I've got a really good show for you guys I think you're gonna dig it so sit back relax let's get this mother rolling August 4th, 1892, the butchered and gruesome remains of Andrew and Abby Borden were discovered in their home on 2nd Street in Fall River, Massachusetts. The brutal slayings would become headline news seemingly forever in also the Commonwealth of Massachusetts' most legendary cold case. But who really committed these heinous acts? Andrew Jackson Borden married Sarah Anthony Jane Morris on Christmas Day in 1845. Sarah Anthony would bear him three daughters, Emma Lenora, Alice Esther, and finally Elizabeth Andrew Borden. That Elizabeth's middle name was Andrew has led some people to speculate that perhaps her father would have preferred a son. 
Sadly, middle daughter Alice would die of dropsy when she was just two years old. It wouldn't be long after that the girl's mother, Sarah Anthony, would die of uterine congestion and spinal disease. Elizabeth was only three. Lizzie bought in chalk and hacks. Gave her mother 40 wax. When she saw what she had done, she gave her father 41. And then there is Bridget Sullivan, the quote-unquote Maggie, a somewhat derogatory term given to housemaids of Irish descent at that time. They were simply Maggie's. However, there was little evidence to show that this was an issue for Bridget. But one must note that she was home at the time of the murders, allegedly resting upstairs in her quarters, having just washed the floors. It is rumored that Lisbeth, as she preferred to be called, and the Maggie, may have had an affair, and may have actually been caught in the act of lovemaking by the not-so-beloved Abby. And then there is John Vinicum Morse, Lizzie's uncle and brother to a deceased mother and supposedly a great friend of Andrew's. He had been in town visiting for business and had been staying with the Bordens and left prior that morning just before the murders. When police interviewed John, his alibi was so solid it was casebook. He could remember the number on the side of the trolley. The number on the driver's hat, street by street, where he went, minute by minute, play by play, a casebook alibi. Some described his behavior as, at best, nonchalant upon returning home. Of course, these are just some of the key figures and circumstances surrounding the horrific murders of Andrew and Abby Borden. Who do you think did it? Lizzie Borden, chalk and axe. Awesome. Says it's recording. <laughs> Pray tell it actually does. We're live. <laughs> <laughs> Live, but we're not on the air, so this is a podcast. Right. <laughs> we, we can totally screw up, and I can just edit it in as no problem. Oh, that's that's wonderful. That is the the advantage, you know. I think it loses yeah, that's great. as opposed to doing a live show. But you know, it's kind of cool. yeah, we can just have a conversation. That's all right. Well, yeah, yeah. plug along. All right. So um, I don't have a list of questions or anything. I just you know I've been obviously read up on Lizzie and thought I would just uh, talk about it. So how did you yeah. get involved with uh, the Lizzie Borden house? And um, tell me a little bit about that. You know, long before I even got involved with the Lizzie Borden, I was fascinated um, about the story. My, my um, family would talk about it. I come from a long lineage of women psychics and had a young girl seeing my sister Jeannie and my sister Rosalie and my mom table tipping in the living room and talking about stories of 
you know, local folklore and local history. You know, I heard well long ago about, you know, the really important story. And my favorite rendition of the movie is where um, Elizabeth Montgomery plays her. And um, when I started doing the paranormal team, New England Paranormal Society, and started doing readings professionally and, you know, in the public, I booked a whole bunch of events at the Lizzie Borton. I was fascinated with the house. I did a tour, and I ended up talking to Leanne, and uh, the, the owner come to find out that Leanne had a really good friend um, who was a really good friend of mine who was actually in my motorcycle organization, the East Coast Biker Chick. So we kind of hit it off, Leanne and I, and felt like we were kindred spirits. And um, just, yeah, and kind of hit it off and, you know, some of the staff were great and, you know, I was there so, so often and was booking so many events and it really was just bringing in a lot of business for them. I would book the whole house and, you know, invite the public in and do readings and ghost hunts and stuff like that. And, you know, one day I was talking to Leanne and Danielle Cabral, who's one of the tour guides there. And they said, Hey, do you want to be um, involved in the house? And I'm like, great. Well, they said, well, you're the official psychic. And I'm like, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good news, right? Yeah, yeah. And I was actually there at the house, and we did a live broadcast, and it was very exciting, and I was very humbled and very honored, and still am honored, to have that title. Oh, that's awesome. Um, tell me a little bit about the table tipping. That's something that comes from the spiritualist movement of the late 1800s, early 1900s, and you said you grew up. Yeah, it that. started over in England, and it got brought over here as a parlor game. It was a, uh, you know, just a, just a kind of, you know, get around the table and see what happens type of thing. And the spiritualists, um, you know, started to dig into it a little, you know, a little bit more over here in, in America. And it's a form of a seance, it's a form of communication. And like I said, my my sister Rosalie and, and uh, my other sister and my mom would do it in the living room. I mean, they were incredible um, spiritualists. And I got the gift from my maternal grandmother, Dorothy, on my mother's side. And therefore, it came down generations. My sisters had it, my mom had it. And it was fascinating to see because my sister Rosalie would actually facilitate the table tipping. She would levitate. This one, I tell you. She would levitate a table using her fingertips, and it would go in the air. I'm not talking about feet, but I'm talking about inches. Uh, completely off the ground. Nobody's legs were under there pushing it. It was just a fascinating wow. thing to see as a little girl growing up. Yeah, yeah, I would imagine. Yeah. Yep. And I've done it before, but in private settings. And then two years ago at Salem Con, my team, New England Paranormal, was the um, headliner sponsor for Mark and Warren's event at the Hawthorne. And um, they had ghost hunting that night after the vendors, and they had the speakers, and they were doing something at the wand shop right off the street from the Hawthorne. And one of their guest speakers who was supposed to go to the wand shop that night and give a lecture was running late, or something happened, and he just was not going to be there in time. So Mark ran over to me and said, Lucky, I need you. And I'm the type of person that you say that, and I'm going to like drop everything and, and fly to do what I can to do to help. He said, can you do some table tipping at, at the wand shop tonight for me and help me out? He says, I've got four groups coming in. There's 10 to 15 people in each group. Um, if you could do an hour of it in each group, I certainly would be appreciative. And I'm like, I'm in. 
So I went upstairs, got dressed, and went over there. And surprisingly so, they had a table that I was able to use in this shop to do table tipping. So what I did is I gave all the guests that came in a little history of who I am and how I became involved in table tipping and some of the history of table tipping and invited the public who came in to table tip with me. And I'll tell you, it was absolutely unbelievable the things that were coming through, the communication. I was giving readings. I mean, I was being called by the, the spirits from above to give people who were on the table special messages. And there was a lot of tears. There was a lot of excitement. There was a lot, a lot of emotion. And it was something that I will never forget. It was four and a half hours of table tipping. So I had a paranormal hangover for at least three days after that. <laughs> wow. That's awesome. I am a psyched to hear that, you know, this could come back, you know, that people are doing this because, um, you know, it was a big practice back then, you know. And- yeah, you know, it was. And I, and I have to tell you, on the other side of that coin, if, if I may, and I'm, ne- I'm really never a negative person, and I don't talk bad about anybody, but I will tell you, Chris, that there are a lot of people in the area, because it is coming back, and I put that out there, that it's very popular, and I've been really the only one in the area doing it. There's a lot of people who are saying that they're doing it now, and they really have had no experience doing it. So it kind of makes me upset that people are entrusting these other people to, to do it and to go there when they really just are doing it because they think they can. So and on that note, you know, that's all I'll say. Right. Well, um, you know, that, that kind of harkens back again to that spiritualist movement where, you know, some right. people were debunked and there were like legit people, I think, that maybe were put through the rigors so much and became popular that maybe they even had to exploit their abilities. Um, or at least right. I've read. I mean, I wasn't there in person, so I can't really say, you know. Right, right. We have no, I absolutely Incredible agree. pictures of ectoplasm and different things from, from back then, but um, I love the idea. I love that people were into it enough and it became part of their lives and was a popular thing to do, you know. Right, you know, of course, right. It's fascinating. Is, is awesome, yeah. So. Yeah, yes. <laughs> you know, um, I don't know about other people doing this. Actually, you, you're the first person I've seen. In fact, that's part of the yeah. Lizzie Borden thing, because you, you, you're having a, a table tipping session, you know, at the Lizzie Borden house on the night I'm going and I'm, I'm psyched. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And we've had great response. We've had great response at the Borden house. I'll tell you. Another time that was absolutely incredible with regard to table tipping, if I, if I may, is oh. that I did an event with um, Cherry Marie Di Benedetti from Ghost Hunters. She's a dear friend of mine. She lives in Denver's Mass. Um, her and I co-hosted a public overnight investigation, and I did table tipping there. And Sherry was actually on the table with two of her friends, and I was doing my thing. And that table actually lifted off the ground and went flying into the couch, which is a replica of the couch where oh, Andrew Borden was murdered. Yeah. And yeah. we have audio. <laughs> the one Andrew we have found video. on? <laughs> wow. We have wow. audio. We have audio, and I believe there's still a video out there of it somewhere. Um, and uh, we, we were beside ourselves because, I mean, I've seen things happen with regard to table tipping, but I've never seen the table lift up, tilt over, and then fly about two feet. So... It was alarming, but but the same. It was exciting. Yeah, what's uh, cooler than that? 
Not much. <laughs> <laughs> and there was a whole bunch of people there that witnessed it. So, yes, sir. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. So, from the time you've been in the Lizzie Borden house, what what is your take on Lizzie Borden? Can we talk about that? And the mystery in, uh, the you know, Massachusetts' most famous cold case. Right. It is a cold case. August 4th of, oh, my God, 1892. There was a double murder at 92 2nd Street in Fall River. Uh, in the morning, and they found two bodies, one on the couch, Andrew Borden, and one upstairs in the spare bedroom that Uncle John Morse um, would use when he came to visit. Now, Uncle John Morse was Lizzie's natural mother's brother, and he would visit the girls often and come in from Fairhaven, Mass., on the train. Um, so that day, nobody really knows who did it, to this day, it is unsolved, like you said. Mm-hmm. But I, as on a personal level, believe that she, and I, and I hate to even say it because I know when I go there, she's going to get on me, but um, I believe <laughs> I have a personal relationship with her, trust me. You'll see it, you'll see it in June when you're there. But um, I believe she did it. Um, I believe that um, Bridget, the maid, a.k.a. Maggie, might have had some knowledge of it, and I also think that um, Lizzie's friend Alice also had knowledge of it. Alice and Lizzie were seen by one of the detectives the evening of the murders around 8 o'clock, scurrying down the back steps to the basement, hiding something in the corner. Yeah. And then they came. Yeah, absolutely. I've read these court reports and everything I could get my fingers on. And then about an hour later, the same detective observed Lizzie going down to the basement again near where the, uh, the uh, potty was. There was a, a, an old, um, how do you say, um, I can't think of the name of it, what they called it back then in the day, but an old oh, portageon down there. <laughs> yeah, the loo, the loo-loo, yeah. It was basically a bucket, right, because there was no yeah, water. Yeah, absolutely. And, yeah, uh, yeah. That's one of the things supposedly she was upset about, that they, right. you know, had a great deal of money and could have lived on the, the quote-unquote hill, you know, being the high, high right. now, and, um, but didn't. Highly, highly affluent family, but if you were to ever go in the house, you would say, wow, how small is this house? It's, it's minorly quaint. There are no hallways. All of the rooms are together by other, you know, all the rooms are together by banging into another room. And, you know, the records state that as much money as Andrew had, he only bought the girls two dresses a year. So he was a stickler, I believe, and right, I think he was right. hard he was, on the girl. Uh, quite, yeah. quite the penny pincher. Right, so it's, he was. He was. He came from a, a family, though. I mean, the Borden family was, was affluent and had a lot of money overall, but his father himself was kind of an exception and was like a fish peddler or something like that. And right. I guess Andrew had to really work his way up and worked really hard. So maybe that's why he had those qualities, you know? Yeah, they always say once you have it, you don't want to give it up, you know, yeah, when right. it comes to the money. <laughs> but they might have, you know, the sisters might have felt off because of, you know, their other yeah. family members were living a, a, this kind of uh, grandiose life, and there they are. They right. didn't have, um, you know, gas or running water, which I, I right. think was the thing at the time to have if you had any kind of money. You know, they right. literally, right. you know pissed in a bucket <laughs> so. yeah yeah you're absolutely right um, yep it's his um you know 
it's just a story that intrigues so many of us all these years. It really still does. And, you know, I'm actually writing a book about my experiences there and my evidence there called The Borden of Truth. It's a play on the burden of truth. Sure. And, um, sure. Like yeah, I've already, got, I've already got some pages written and some chapters written. And, awesome. and I'm excited about getting that out probably 2020. Um, I'm going to probably bunker down this coming winter after all my events are over and taking three or four months into the new year and just really banging out some chapters and, and putting it together. So I'm really excited about that. That's awesome. That That's great. I look yeah. forward to that. What kind of, oh, thank um, you. what kind of things have you seen in the house? I've been working in it and like, um, I know we talked about maybe exchanging some EVPs or, or something. We, we probably should do that. Uh, if it's okay with you, I'll put them in the show. Obviously they belong to you and yeah, that's okay. That kind of great stuff. But like, yep. what have you come back from from doing those investigations and you know being there as much as you have? I've captured something um, that I feel is really cool. It was the same night that Sherry and I were doing the event. It was very active because there were all women in the house that night for some reason. I don't know. It was just strange, high, high vibration in the house and a lot of activity. We were in Lizzie's room. And we're sitting on the bed, and we all had our quarters out and our, you know, rim pods and our, my God, we had so much equipment on that bed. Um, I started to talk to Lizzie. And, you know, I talked to her just like I'm talking to you. And, you know, hey, Lizzie, it's lucky. I'm here with some friends tonight again. It's nice to see you. Blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, could you please entertain me and my guest tonight? Because I know you always talk to me. And I always ask you this one question. And you always answer me. And I said to her, can you tell me how many pears were you eating on the day of the murders? And it's the same question that the prosecutor asked you on the stand. What were you doing during the murders? And she had said on the stand that she was eating pears. Mm -hmm. And they asked her, how many pears were you eating? And she said six. So I said to her, Lizzie, how many pears did you say you were eating on the stand that day of the murders? Which was your alibi. And, you know, I had the recorders going and stuff like that. And we continued our talk and our investigation. Saw some shadows in the hallway in, into John Morse's room, which is the room outside, right by the front of the stairs, heading down. So I decided to play the recording back in about 20 minutes after we finished our little stint. And you hear the whole conversation, me talking to her and blah, blah, blah. And all of a sudden, right after you hear me asking her, how many pairs, and da-da-da-da, you hear, six. Wow. And <laughs> we were all like, holy, it was visceral. I mean, it was absolutely visceral in a female's voice say six. So sure. that's one of the things that I talk to a lot of people about, because it's personal to me. She says it to me all the time. Every time I go there, she says it to me on an EVP. So I have a few of those. <laughs> and no matter how many times you, you hear that, especially hearing it multiple times, I think, I, you know, the goose oh, yeah. grow each time. Oh, absolutely. Like, and it it's always at that point. <laughs> it does. It does. And it's always visceral. There's really, I don't have to ask her a hundred times. It doesn't take two hours. It's like quick. <laughs> you know, it's our, it's like our buzzword together, me and her. <laughs> wow. Well, that's awesome. That that is awesome, and I've read that about the the pears. Like she was sitting outside eating pears, and they, yeah. there's so much to it. You know, um, there's, there's the a lot of nuances to the story. Right? Seem to just have the most perfect alibi, 
you know, and just remembered every factual detail to the point of like, really? Like who would, <laughs> who would remember? I mean, if your if your if your audience doesn't know, but Uncle John Morris, who came over that day on the train, when he was questioned by the police, he weirdly told them everybody's name that he met on the train. Uh, there was even a priest or a pastor on there. I mean, who would remember everybody's name to the letter and then describe everybody on the train that day? So that was kind of an odd. Thing for someone to do who's just taking a normal trip to Fall River on any given day, looking out the window or what, but he made an effort exactly, of memorizing exactly. everything that happened on that damn train. That nobody would yeah. really remember. Yeah. And then I guess he gets right. to the scene, he gets back to the house, and there's all these people outside, and obviously it's commotion, and you know, the um, bodies have been discovered by this point. And he just right. nonchalantly stands around and watches. Yeah, and he, when he was questioned by the police, he told them that the reason, the the way he found out about the murders when he was out back, because uh, he went in the back side door, is that Maggie, the maid, told him about the murders, and he said he didn't have any knowledge of it prior to coming back to the house. So that was his little shtick. Yeah, but we don't know. I mean, we don't know. All of them could have been involved. Who's, who's to know? You right, know, like right. it says, Uncle John was Lizzie's, Lizzie's real mother's brother, and Lizzie did not like her stepmother. You know, when they were questioning Lizzie that night, Lizzie was adamant, and the, one of the detectives said, well, something about her mother, and she says, Eddie was not my mother. She was my stepmother. And they said, it, they said she said it rather arrogantly, too. So she was a little snide about that. Right, right. And I think she referred to her as, like, uh, Mrs. Borden as a name, which was right. a sign of disrespect back then. Right, right, not my not, Right, she's not my mother. She's my stepmother. I can only see her because she's a little brat. She can be very, very cursed. Uh, at her energy, which I picked up on immediately, I can tell when she's in a pissy mood or she's going to be playful or she's not even going to communicate as soon as I walk through those doors. She's, um, she's a piece of work. <laughs> <laughs> sure seems like it. You know, um... <laughs> Have you been to the other house, the the house actually on the hill? Yes, I have been to Maplecroft. I was, um, I was, and I can say this with confidence, I was the first person, along with a gentleman by the name of Bill Brock from Maine, who actually got into the house to film a episode, um, and it's on YouTube. It's under Rogue, R-O-G-U-E, Mysteries. And we went there and filmed an entire episode that was supposed to be on Diddy Space, which is the online streaming service owned by Elizabeth St. Nick Groff. It hasn't been put on there. I imagine it will be. But we, were the, we weren't the first investigators, but we were the first people to ever film in that house. And I'll tell you. Interesting. It was incredible. Yes, it was incredible, incredible, incredible energy. The house is fabulous. It's gorgeous inside. I could only see all of the lavish parties that she that she uh, had there, which she did. She used to hang around with some of the opera singers and some of the actresses and actors in the area, mm-hmm. and she used to throw all these lavish parties and stuff. So the energy was highly intense of that night we were there, yeah. Yeah, she did seem to live a little better life. You know, yeah, after she was acquitted, yeah, she and 
I, I've been yeah. by the Maplecroft house just because I'm from that area. And, yeah. you know, I know where it's written on the snap and all that stuff. Uh, yep. Definitely a step up. Right. Uh, right. It is a step up. It's yeah. a gorgeous property. She bought it September of 80, uh, 1893, um, a year and a month after the murders and stuff. So, yeah, she moved on up, and her sister Emma moved in with her. And a short while after that, Emma left. They had irreconcilable differences. Nobody's really said why. It's never been documented, but we believe in the field that Emma didn't like some of the things that were happening in the house um, and just wasn't agreeing with some of the things she saw or had to deal with, and so she moved to New Hampshire. Hmm. So, well, that's that's really interesting. Um, yeah. Do you, do you feel that the spirit of Lizzie haunts both houses? And is that I feel that... That kind of works for you as a medium. Like, how do you see that? I picked up on Lizzie at the Second Street house, the bed and breakfast, more than I do at Maplecroft. I did pick up on her spirit at Maplecroft, but it was a very low vibration of who her spirit is. Um, residual feeling was more than the actual spirit that I feel at Lizzie Borden bed and breakfast. I hope that makes sense, but... Um, her residual energy is at Maplecroft. Uh, she did talk to us. We had captured some BVPs from her. But at the bed and breakfast, I actually can feel her very strongly on a different level. Spiritually. Like uh, more intense <laughs> right. because of the things that happened. and Right. You know, right. It's a, a sort yep. of residual haunting, if you will. Correct. Correct. Yeah. And just personally, I definitely pick up more energy from her at, at the bed and breakfast. That's awesome. Um, how about the other other people, like the victims, Abby and Andrew? Do you do you feel them there? We've actually had Uncle John Morse talk to us. Danielle Cabral, who's one of the tour guides, her and I will usually sit in Uncle John's room on the bed right next door to where Mrs. Borden was found laid out with her head, you know, cracked open. Um, and he'll he'll start to talk. He'll say Morse, Morse, Borden, Borden. And he'll communicate with me and Danielle that way. And it's so weird because I'll sit in there by myself and I won't get anything. But when I'm with Danielle, she's been there for years and she's a fantastic tour guide. He'll just talk to her and I and he'll con consistently say either Borton or Morse. And it's a man's voice. So it's quite interesting because hoping one day he'll say some more to us. But I haven't gotten anything else from him other than that. <laughs> and Abby, <laughs> and Abby that and... There would be some kind of comfort level there that... It could bring right. about. Right. But Abby and, um, and Andrew, they're around. Absolutely. You know, there's been shadows and stuff. And, you know, I try to reach out to them as much as I try to reach out to all the other spirits there. They don't come around too often, but they have. I don't have anything concrete that I can present or talk about. But, I, you know, spiritually, you know, I try to corroborate what I feel with my ghost hunting equipment and try to validate both ways other than when I have guests there that are picking up on things themselves or catching something the same time I'm picking up on something. But, um, yeah, they're definitely around, just not so prominent. But Lizzie's the big, big spirit in that house, for sure. That's really interesting. Um, yeah. Yeah, I can't wait. I'm, I'm really excited. It's gonna oh, you're going to have, have an amazing time with Jack, Ellen, and myself. It really is. That's going to be something great. very special. Yeah, very special. Um, 
So you also have a lot of other things going on. I, I saw you have a mediumship school online. And, yeah, on Teachable. A lot of projects. Like you're a busy, busy, busy person. <laughs> when I looked at your Facebook, and I was like, "Oh my God, look at look at all the stuff she is up to." So yeah, I mean, I've me I've that. um, I had I've had a lot of fun things happen in my life. I've had um, a year off due to cancer last year and, and cancer treatments. I actually had leukemia and was put in a clinical trial up in Boston and in three months I was cured of my cancer. With Which the, is awesome. I'm great, leading up to that. <laughs> yep. With the, I know. With the graces of God. I mean, when I walked in there last February 13th, with 13 is my lucky number. If anybody's listening knows that is my number. I um, I got good news and bad news that day. They said, well, you got six months to live. Your white blood counts a million and your sh- stuff shutting down. But here, here's a signature form. If you want to get involved in this last trial, it's the 85th trial at 85 people, and we've been known to cure people with this trial. I signed away, and three months later, I was cancer-free. Wow. Three so, months. Three months. That, and everybody really else, it took six months. Right, right. <laughs> All the other participants, it took six months. And, do you to, do uh, any kind of like uh, healing on yourself, and do you do that as like, a psychic medium? And I do. I'm a very positive person, and I always try to think that good things are going to happen to me and others around and I try to really project you know wonderful energy and I've learned so much I was working with a woman by the name of Sandy Cochran for about 15 years she's a spiritualist and I did a lot of um, you know internal things with me a soul retrieval past life regression um, all kinds of great um, spiritual things and she taught me a lot about myself and how to actually think the positive things to get things away and to stop things from going on and just, you know, I have to tell you though, I, I think it's more powerful than that. I think that a bigger picture came down and just really wanted me to stay here a lot longer than I really thought. I really firmly believe that, you know, the maker saved me and has bigger things for me to do and to continue my work in helping people through the years. So, so I'm, I'm confident. Like a, um, like a source of God or... Um, yeah. 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 Yep. Definitely. Definitely Jesus and God. Yeah. Absolutely. Awesome. Absolutely. Absolutely. Wow. Uh, three months. That is amazing right there. That is... That's some pretty good uh, evidence. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're that's... Definitely um, striking a chord with something for sure. I um, I just went back recently too from, for my six-month checkup and uh, everything is perfect. They said wow. you have all of the markers and all of the blood results of a normal person your age. And yeah, every, every day when I hear those words, it's just, I get on my knees and I'm thankful. Just thankful. Well, congratulations. And, um, Thank you, honey. Very that. much. Um, Thank you so much. <laughs> so I've got more time to do more stuff and I've been busy. I'm doing two nights at Lizzie in June, June 7th, and I'm doing June 8th as well. I'm going back with Sam Baltrusis on November 30th. I'm running a, the, Keen Paraton up in Keene, New Hampshire on October 26th. I've got a hell of a lineup. Tickets are dirt cheap. Um, writing my book, uh, doing some stuff down here in Mobile, Alabama at a haunted location called Ghost of Mobile where I'll be walking, doing walking candlelit tours and doing readings and paranormal investigations at this house. And, you know, big announcement coming with that soon. So sure. I've been a busy girl. <laughs> and what do you have at uh, the Keen Paracon? Oh, Jack Kenna, Daniel Place from the Hinsdale House, Andrea Perron, who was my um, 
my dear, dear friend, along with Jack and Daniel, I've got James Anito, who is a demonologist. Mm-hmm. I've got Shauna and Josh um, Rajunis from Maine, who um, jo- uh, Shauna was abducted by a UFO. We'll be talking about her otherworldly experience. Oh, who else? My gosh, I've got um, Kenneth Kendall and Karen Shivalati, who are practicing witches out of Salem, who will be speaking. I've got Julie Griffin, who is a master, a master of collecting ghostly photography in all of these haunted locations. She'll be showing some of her photography and talking about some of the things that she's captured over the years. I will be speaking about Lizzie Borden and also my connection, my family connection to the Salem Witch Trials. My sixth great-grandfather, Chris, was Benjamin Abbott out of Andover, Mass., who was a landowner who lived next door to the Carriers. Him and the wife of Mr. Carrier, her name was Martha Carrier, had an argument over landlines. Benjamin actually ended up getting gout in his foot during the hysteria back then in 1692. He accused Martha of causing it, and she was one of the ones who was killed in the witchcraft hysteria. He's my great-grandfather, so we're going to be talking about that, too. Wow. Well, that's an interesting story. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy, crazy, some of the things that will be going on at KingCon. And it's October 26th. It's right in the brunt of Halloween, and Keen has their Keen Pumpkin uh, Fest the day after, where they try to beat the Guinness World Records of lighting pumpkins on Sunday in the common. So I'm imploring everybody to come up that weekend and spend the night, hang out with us at the, at the event. We're doing a ghost hunt at the Historical Society in downtown Keene that night, all day at the Keene Country Club for our vendors and our speakers. It's just going to be a hell of a weekend. Yeah, that sounds great. That sounds great. Yeah, it's going to be so much fun. You're in uh, Mobile now, and uh, you a uh, ghost-type tour coming up. Did you want to talk yes. about Yeah. Yeah, um, I was at the Petronovich Inn, which is the AKA Mardi Gras Inn, in Mobile last Thursday. Um, I went there for the night. I did some investigating on my own. I was trying to go live twice um, with some of the evidence that I captured and give everybody an eye view of how the in looks inside. It's quite beautiful. It's all period, old time, um, you know, Mardi Gras decoration and beautiful furniture. And there was a hell of a storm coming through Mobile from Texas. I mean, it pelted rain for about two hours, thunder and lightning, and I couldn't get my phone to work or most of my equipment was being drained from the electricity <laughs> in the area. So I couldn't, I couldn't go live, but I'll tell you, the owner and I are in negotiations. We're working on a contract for me to go there um, probably every other month for right now to do some readings and some paranormal investigations. I'm also going to be starting there and taking some guests down the street to the cemetery that's predominantly uh, haunted. If you, if you Google the Church Street Cemetery in Mobile, you'll see what I'm talking about. So we'll be leaving the Petronovich Inn and walking straight down Church Street and giving you some history of some of the houses there, some of the hangings that happened on the way there, and then some of the crazy stuff that's gone in the cemetery. There's a tree inside the cemetery also that they had some hangings. So it's going to be all done by candlelit lantern, and I'm looking forward to that. I've got three events already booked in October, so my weekends in October were already all booked up, but it's going to be fun. It's going to be fun. Yeah, it's going to be fun. That sounds awesome. That sounds really fun. Yeah. Yeah. Um, to to go a little further, yeah, you mentioned that um, your mediumship, 
you came from a family of mediums. So do you feel it's yeah. a generational thing? Three times now we've talked and I've heard an overdub of something. <laughs> I don't know yeah. if you've heard that. Have you heard that? No, I haven't heard I it haven't at heard all. I've heard a noise like three times that I don't know. Oh, that's I, I can't spirit. To play that's this spirit. Back, but, yeah, you're yeah, going to hear some stuff. I really believe so. Let me cut yeah. This out, but yeah. The, the <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm talking and, you know, my no, mind is pretty good. And it doesn't make any oh noise. Oh, my God. It's very quiet. That's three crazy. Now, I've gone to talking to her, but some other That's voice. crazy. But I will tell you that. Um, I'll tell you a little story um, about when I believe that I got the gift from my maternal grandmother, Dorothy Shattuck, um, who was a psychic medium and lived in Western Mass near the Nipmuc tribe out there and was an American early settler, her family, the Shattucks. Um, I was eight years old, and we lived in Reading, Massachusetts. My dad was the head chef at Wellesley College in Wellesley, Massachusetts, an all-female college that's very, very popular and well-known in the area. Sure, I'm sure. And I, I think Hillary Clinton went there, and, um, yeah, one of the Kennedy girls went there. Um, so he, they were having a party downstairs. And me being the youngest of the eight kids, I was always left out of things because all my other siblings were a lot older than me. And I would always sneak out from my bedroom and sit on the top of the stairs, and Mom would always come up and catch me and put me back in the bed. Now, this was... Chris, this went on three or four times. So I was getting tired, and I decided I wasn't going to go out and peek downstairs and see what was going on. Uh, but the door opened, and I thought to myself, well, Mom's not going to catch me this time. And it wasn't my mom. It was actually nobody. And the hallway was dark, but the door opened. And I could hear this distinctive noise. Now, mind you, I'm 61 years old, and this happened to me when I was eight. And I still... And my arms, my, the hair on my arms are standing up because I can still distinctly hear that noise. That noise. It was like material swishing together, but it was getting closer to me. And I didn't see anything in that room at all. Nothing. Wow. All of a sudden, I'm laying in bed, and my right side of my body is facing out towards the dresser. And I hear a woman's voice, and then I hear her say in my ear, at the same time, I see a white apparition standing there and she said to me in my right ear you have it and you'll know when to use it and then all of a sudden boom gone it was dark again i talked to my mother about eight years after that happened when i started to see my sisters and her table tipping and i told them all what happened that night and they all started to giggle like little kids and they go yep Nana came to you that night and gave you the gift because that's all how we got it. So there you go. <laughs> wow. All right. So you had that, that confirmation that like they all had a similar experience. Yep. At similar experiences. That's not the amazing. same verbiage. I, not the same verbiage, that. but there that you go. So cool. <laughs> yep. yep. So that was rough. That's, that's, that's like when I got it when I was eight years old. Damn sure it was generational and they were going to Right. Each and, every and I'll night. tell you, I'll tell you. When my sister's, before my sister Rosie died, she died in 87. Uh, she unfortunately succumbed to cervical cancer. But when the three of us girls would get together, mom, Rosalie, and my sister Jeannie, crazy fun things would happen because we would all be pinging off each other and there'd be all kinds of messages coming down, things flying across the room, you know, things tinkling, bells going off. I mean, it was just magical, wild, crazy stuff that some people would think that we were that shit crazy, but I'll tell you, I lived it. I've seen it. <laughs> I love it, too. Fun that's an, an awesome story. Thank so, you, sweetheart. So your, your family and um, 
do any of them I, I don't know do you guys get together like what do you what do you guys do do you do anything as a like group of mediums to I, I don't know no <laughs> I, yeah. I wish we did but no we never did no you know my sister Jeannie um she was married to a a navy chief so they traveled all over the country and you know her and I would communicate by phone over the last 30 years or stuff they finally retired her in New Jersey now and like I said, my sister died in 87, and then my mama died in 1992. So it just left me and my sister Jeannie, and she was traveling. So we really never got together that much until she moved back to the state. And we spent some time together. But when I go over to visit her, she, you know, she came down here to, to spend a lot of time with me while I was going through cancer treatment and went to some of my appointments, which meant the world to me, obviously. You know, we had some fun stuff happen, and we knew that my mom and dad and my sister Rosie was around during, you know, that stressful period and stuff. So, yeah, we picked up on a lot of fun stuff, a lot of, a lot of good positive things that were coming through during that, that stressful time. I'm sure. And I'm sure you knew when she was coming over. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> oh, I'd be thinking of her my phone ring, and I'd be like, I just thought of you. What do you need? You know? <laughs> yeah, no, I, I love the feeling. And I think a lot of people experience that, like when your phone buzzes. or I do, too. You know, and you know yeah. who it is before you look. <laughs> right, right. You know? You know, I'm going to tell you a fact, and I did some reading on it, and also with my studies with Sandy, is that, you know, everybody is born intuitive. Everybody has that sixth sense to them. Um, as young children, you know, some people, and this is, now, this is not factual, this is just my take on something, and then I'll go back to the factual, but I believe that some parents, when they see an infant staring at a wall or just I can't, I, I'm getting the chills just thinking about staring at a wall or doing something that they don't understand. I firmly believe that those children, those infants, are hearing and seeing something. Oh, I totally agree. Back, I have two kids, back, and they used to have conversations yeah. with you know, seemingly nobody. And I, I know scientists, right. they can't see well and what, what their, their eye right. is at that point. But they would look right. at you, talk, turn their head. And just have a conversation of, you know, right? You know what? I know. And then most of the time, these adults, these parents, you know, they think there's something wrong with the kids and they immediately take them to a doctor and they start all the pills and stuff at an early age. And I don't, it's awful. It's awful. But I will tell you that we are all born intuitive, we all are sensitive, and we all have that sixth sense. When we start to grow as adolescents and we get to the age of 16, 17, 18, we lose it because our brain changes. The chemicals in our brains change to help us go into adulthood. So that's where a lot of people lose that natural ability. Some of us don't, like myself and a lot of other mediums that I know, we don't ever lose it. But I'll tell you, in years gone by, mine has gotten so much more intense and stronger over the years, as you can imagine, it would. Sure, sure. And I, yeah, I um, totally agree with you. I, I think just the the innocence of childhood and your belief system, where it's open, right. and not so so firm yet. And we're not marred by society and right impressions, and you know, you haven't been told that you know this or that isn't real yet. Um, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, mom is just saying, there's no such thing as ghosts. I don't believe in that. Well, let the kids figure it out for themselves. Don't instill right. that in them, you know? <laughs> right. I believe in them for a reason. Because they have right. to be told not to. 
you know, and exactly, they, maybe exactly, you can see them. So, um, yeah, yeah. I'm an advocate of that, and uh, you know, a practitioner. Yeah. As well. <laughs> so, absolutely, you know, absolutely, huh? Um, it, speaking of that, now you, I mentioned you have an online mediumship school. Is that something you, know, you, you would have for or give classes that, that help people get back in touch with that? You know, before I um, before I started my cancer treatment a year before that, I was doing classes at um, Mount Wachusett Community College in Gardner. It was the adult um, program. I was teaching paranormal one-on-one and mediumship, and then um, I couldn't extend that because I was starting my cancer treatment. So during my cancer treatment, um, and not feeling ill from the chemotherapy, I decided to put all of my chapters online um, on a website called Teachable and offer it to the, to the public. It's a self-guided training. There's lessons in there. There's history in there. There's pertinent information about the, the players, which is the player audience, you know, to sentiments. It's about all of these different sensitivities that people may have, you know, opening up your awareness. It's really an intensive self-guided, like I said, class that you can sign up for it. You can pay a one-time fee or you can make monthly payments on it. It's really inexpensive. It's only $99 and you get to keep all the information for as long as you want. I don't cut you off after a month. You get to keep all that information and then you also have an opportunity to reach out to me at any time with any questions about the class online. So I've had a lot of people sign up. It's really a, really a fun thing. That's really great. I, I may check that yeah. out. So. Like, yeah, definitely. Uh, really good feedback from that. People have. I have, I have. I've talked to some of the people that have that have um yeah that have you know opted to to try it out and they they really thought that it was well structured. I have had no negativity. You know, every time they've messaged me or called me or emailed me, I'm one thing about me, Chris, is that when usually when I'm available and and I say I'm going to be, I will do it. I know that you and I have some issues trying to get this call together. It's just been. Heck, trying to get it. <laughs> well, no worries. <laughs> I know. It's funny, though, in, that you say that because we do keep missing each other. So, like, we do, I, and I, I know that the Fall River up until about November last year, right? Right around the right. Gordon House. And uh, we hadn't talked. I know that counting. I moved up to Rosemary, right. which is near Gardner, right? <laughs> yeah, it is. And you went yep, to Yep, Go straight to Worcester and, and then head right up Route 2, and you'll hit Gardner <laughs> sooner than later. <laughs> right, right. But I am very responsive to messages and, and, and phone calls. So if anybody's interested, yeah, they can they can sign up. And it's it's a fun class. It brings a lot of information, um, you know, to you right there personally. Well, that sounds good. And I do think that, you know, everybody has something. And it's a matter of, like, whether they develop it or they never lost it or it was given to them, maybe a, in your case, like at a young age. Where, right. You know, it was a, such a strong thing. You know, I know people who have trouble distinguishing the living from the dead sometimes, like literally right. in their their vision. And it sounds so far out to people who don't know them well enough or haven't right. seen enough things, I suppose, that right. you know, they just think, wow, man, these people have got to sure. be or something. Sure, sure, sure. You know, it, it is real. It is out there. Um, but for most of us somehow, you know, it's not as easy. So uh, that you offer a, a training course, to help people get maybe more in tune with that, I think is is amazing and great. It's, yeah, it's geared to it's geared to open up your senses. It's geared to find out your core. If you have the ability, if you have the gift, if you don't, 
nothing's going to resonate. If you do, then things are going to definitely resonate. There's little quizzes in there. There's little meditation things in there. There's um, little fun tests and little, you know, in uh, just, just a whole mishmash of all different kinds of things in there. Yeah, and you know, out of it, I've started to mentor a few people. I've mentored people in the past. I've helped them bring out their their uh, their gifts. And I, you know, I, I there's a woman online that I speak to just on Messenger. She'll hit me up on Messenger and ask me a million questions, and I'll answer every one of her one of them. And I didn't even charge her. And you know, I'm mentoring her in that way, helping her and giving her some signs and some messages where she needs to focus on it in her direction and stuff. So you know. It's not always about the hundred dollars or the you know two bucks or the five bucks. It's it's about helping people, and that's why I'm here. That's why I'm still here. Yeah, I, I think the um, the people that seem to sustain themselves in, in the in both paranormal and psychic fields are people that generally genuinely want to help. Yeah, and I'm you know my reading, my my readings for an hour is sixty five dollars, and I get appalled, Chris. And like I said, I don't like to talk bad about anyone, but just as a reference, there are people out there in the community that charge $120 for an hour reading. And I just think that's absurd. I keep it very, very economical. If I could do it for free, which I've done, let me tell you, countless, countless times given free readings. I don't feel that sometimes I want to charge people. Sometimes I do. You know, I don't have a real job. This is my livelihood. And... As much as I give out free, sometimes it just t- I have to take it and charge someone. But sure, sure. I think it's very, 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 very cheap. We all have to get by for sure. So <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Our time is definitely worth something. Everyone's time, whatever it is you do. So right, I, I think that's that's fantastic. Well, thank you, honey. So, how can people seek you out? How do, how do they find Lucky Bell Camino? I don't have a website anymore. I actually um, feel that people were reaching out to me on Facebook um, probably 99% of the time. I have a personal page called Lucky Del Camino. If you want a friend request me, you can see a lot of the things I do. And I also have a professional page, um, a public page. It's Lucky slash Psychic Medium. And most of all my events are on that page. You'll see some information about me. And um, that's really about it. I, I run um, New England Paranormal Society still. That page is up and running. I have a team still operating up in New England. Awesome. And, um, yeah, yeah. And and the event in Keene is called Hallow Keene, one word, H-A-L-L-O-K-E-N-N-E. That's a, a name twist on Halloween. That's the Keene <laughs> Paranormal Conference in October. Area, Keene, New Hampshire, yeah. the E at the end. Yeah. You know, yeah. That's where that's happening. And you can see that on Facebook pages, Halloween Con. So, yeah, there's all kinds of different fun things you can do to find me. Very cool. Very cool. Well, this is yeah. I, I so thank you for putting the time in to, to talk to me. And uh, Oh, I had a blast. I, I love this. this is I love to talk. And thank you, Chris, very much. Absolutely. We'll talk some more. And I can't wait to, uh, to meet you in person. I'll yeah, I'll definitely see you in June. Yeah, I can't wait to meet you, Absolutely. too. And definitely keep in touch with me. It's going to be a, a cool event. I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be amazing. Absolutely. All right. Well, thank you so much. You're welcome. Thanks, Chris. You have a great night. You too. Bye-bye, hon. Bye. Bye. 
Wow, that was just an awesome interview with Lucky Bell Camino. Uh, she's an amazing person, and uh, I got the privilege of actually meeting her last night at the Lizzie Borden House Bed and Breakfast in Fall River. And uh, wow, what a night. What, it was just amazing. We got to um, watch her uh, do table tipping, which I got to participate in, uh, spirit box sessions. Um, I had such a great time. Uh, it was just awesome. Um, there were so many uh, great stories being told. I got to hang out with Ellen McNeil and uh, Jack Kenna. Um, I watched Jack Kenna during a table tipping session, actually channeling the spirit of Lizzie Borden through him. Um, I, how cool is that, right? Nothing's better. So I've got all kinds of data that I collected and, uh, you know, we're definitely getting some responses to spirit box stuff at different times. And I get to make some new friends. Um, so I'm going to be going through that and uh, hopefully uh, present some of that in the next uh, podcast. But for this one, um, I wanted to give you guys a little bit of spirit box stuff I did that I thought was interesting and um, talk about the mail meter and then that crazy activity and uh, the story behind that a little bit. And uh, I'll leave some of that up to your own judgment as to what may or may not have occurred. But um, certainly kind of mind blowing. And uh, so let's start with a little spirit box. Um, this is just something I recorded a little simple. Uh, what's my name? And I get a response right away. Uh, here it goes. It's my name. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I kind of like that. I get a little a little giggle about it. And um, the next up is a little bit of audio apophenia. Um, this is a, a what you would call a bistable illusion. Um, I explained uh, exactly what that is in Chapter 7 of the book I wrote with Clarissa Vasquez called Debunking Common Paranormal Myths, Exploring Psychosomatic Paradilia, available on Amazon. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. And um, here it goes. So here's a little clip. Um, it's, it appears to say, Bring Light Lucifer. Got that? Kind of creepy, right? Bring Light Lucifer. Here it goes. Did you hear it? Um, I'm going to do it another time. Again, it says, Bring Light Lucifer. Did you hear it that time? All right, I'm going to play it one more time as Bring Light Lucifer. Listen close. Now, what if I told you it didn't say that at all? What if I told you it said Frank Mike Christopher? What would you think then? Here goes. Listen again. How did you hear it that time? Listen one more time. Frank Mike Christopher. So you're able to hear it. Um, if not, you can just rewind this audio and play it a couple times. You'll get that uh, Yanni Laurel effect that kind of burst through the media last year. And again, I talk about that in Chapter 7 of my book with Clarissa. 
whom I'll be interviewing for podcast number three, uh, Debunking Common Paranormal Myths, Exploring Psychosomatic Pareidolia. So, anyways, hope you enjoyed that. Next up, I'd like to talk about um, the Melmeter and what's going on with that and uh, a couple of the videos I have on my um, YouTube under Dark Horse Paranormal, if you search for that, and my Facebook page, which I would just love for you guys to go and like. Search Facebook for Dark Horse Paranormal, and I'll come up, give that page a like, and I'll keep you abreast of all the comings and goings of this podcast and other things I'm up to. Um, I also have a page with Clarissa called Chris and Clarissa, and uh, you can search for that and add it as well. So uh, that'll keep you um, in touch with our book projects. Um, we are working on another book, but again, we'll talk about that more in podcast number three. Um, all right, so for the Melmeter. Here's the deal. If you uh, listen to uh, episode one, you'll know the data I presented again at the end of that uh, episode was uh, centered around um, some investigation I did at Kristen's house, um, who uh, lives in the heart of the Bridgewater Triangle in a very old, old building. And um, yeah, it's uh, quite haunted. Um, this 20 minute session I did at her house uh, doing Spirit Box and EVP. Um, you know, or EVP recording is probably the most productive 20 minutes I've ever seen. So I, I it, my mind was just reeling from this. I, I could not believe the amount of, uh, stuff that we were able to get class A EVPs and spirit box calling out her name, her deceased father's name and a lot of other things too. And, um, you know, I gotta say, uh, you know, I don't want to say I was spooked, but it, it was kind of. Kind of, you know, mind-blowing, I guess. So, anyways, uh, I was leaving that and uh, driving home, and I remember um, becoming overwhelmed with emotion. Just start started crying. I was by myself, and I was driving and crying for, like, no apparent reason. And things got a little spooky at my house after that. Um, there was this kind of just feeling of dread. Uh, I saw... Um, and I'm not one for seeing uh, things visually like, you know, flying around or, or whatever. But I did see two black orb-like things fly in my house. Like one just flew. I saw a clear as day, black. Fly right past my bedroom door. I'm sitting on my bed just poof. And then I saw another one also in the house. Um, that one was more like corner of my eye, but it was it was pretty clear. I, you know, I don't think it was my mind playing games with me. Although, as I showed you just now, uh, the mind can play games. Um, and the other thing that had happened is my check engine light had come on. And uh, that was very peculiar. Uh, my car started having trouble starting. Like, I really had a hard time starting the car. And I, I didn't connect all this right away. But um, after a couple days of it, uh, oh, one other thing. Uh, I was coming home from a store with my son. He's 12. And uh, opened up the door. And he looked frightened. He said, Dad, I, I just saw a shadow figure walk across the living room. And he told me that it looked like it had great big long legs and like a little tiny body. And uh, that's, that's a pretty creepy thought, right? And uh, he's not one to, to talk about that thing. In fact, um, he's not real into the paranormal, even though he's grown up around it. 
Um, he doesn't really talk about paranormal experiences and things. It's not really his thing. He's into like history and like science and, and things like that. It's more his interest and video games, frankly. And um, so I was surprised to hear him say it. Um, anyways, after uh, a day or two of this, it, it did occur to me that it was likely I had picked up an attachment from Kristen's house. Maybe not necessarily the main spirit that we were talking to, but something. And uh, if you know me well enough, you know I actually have kind of a, a background in the occult. And um, that's really where my interest in paranormal investigation began. I was more interested in uh, occult subjects growing up um, before before this. Although I was a big fan of like Hans Holzer books. I was also into like witchcraft and astral projection and things like this in like middle school. And um, that's always been an interest of mine. And in fact, uh, Seraphine, who we're going to talk talk to a little bit here uh, in a bit about one of the sessions we did, and myself are both uh, students of Sorceress Cagliostro uh, over the years. And, uh, you know, I love Sorceress Cagliostro. She is just the best. Um, you can uh, find out more information about her if you go to cagliostrotheironring.com. Uh, highly recommend it if um, that's where your interests lie. But uh, anyways, uh, being a little freaked out, I wanted to do a um, session in my own house. Uh, EVP, spirit box, all the stuff. And I've got this Mel meter with the REM pod attachment on it. And um, I did a session with Seraphine. Uh, I brought her in on Skype because she lives in Florida and I live in Massachusetts. And we had this uh, amazing session. And um, this is the first time the Melmeter started going kind of ballistic. And, um, uh, you know, everything that uh, I was using, including my spirit box and my uh, Tascam DR5 recorder, was affected by um, whatever entity was present now I, here here's what happened so i did this um sort of aggressive banishing ritual um after about three days of this particularly after uh, my son saw the uh, shadow figure and now i felt like you know he was threatened in some way and i, I was really kind of going ape shit and um if you were a uh, if you are a student of the sorceress you might recognize this as a uh, form of iron ring ritual, but it's basically an aggressive banishing ritual. And um, I feel like it worked. And uh, the the foreboding feeling and orbs, all that went away. Uh, the check engine light went out in my car. Literally, the next day I went out and started it, and it started right up and has started right up since. And this is months ago. So, very peculiar. That's why I connect the... Uh, the check engine to the to this um, you know paranormal uh, activity, um, which just uh, you know I wouldn't have thought of. That seems really out there to me. But the stuff the Mel meter does is also pretty out there, and uh, as well as my shack hack. <laughs> and I'm gonna play you some clips from that. And um, just to let you know, this activity went on um, very consistently. Uh, I was able to uh, have these things occur, you know, almost nightly for like a good month. And then it seemed to kind of taper off. Um, I don't feel like this activity is, you know, negative or a negative entity. 
it doesn't feel like a spirit to me. And part of the reason I'll say that is, is I'm not able to get um, EVPs from it. Uh, it's almost like, you know, it doesn't speak English or something. It doesn't know the language. But, but um, what I'm going to play in this first clip is uh, how the DR5 would get affected. You'll hear this kind of uh, almost like ticking sound. Um, the peak light would come on on the the device, and it'd be this kind of sound, you know, in the recording. Um, and there was no external reason, you know, explainable reason for uh, that to occur. Um, nothing got louder in the room or anything like that. It was almost like it was getting an electrical charge. Uh, which is pretty interesting considering the the other effects. So here's the first clip and you can listen for the uh, the ticking Is there anything about the house or the people within the house that is bothering you? In particular, is there anything about Jacob or Mark that bothers you? And here's another clip. Again, you can hear the ticking on the DR5. Here it goes. Or are you attracted to the people in the house? This is from a session. I'm not sure if this was the same session. Um, again, I, I had a lot of similar um, sessions for a course of a month. And uh, I think this one actually was from a different one. But this is my Shack Hack, my uh, Radio Shack Radio Spirit Box, um, Old Faithful, if you will. And uh, it's um, getting uh, zapped <laughs> by whatever entity is there. Thank you. And that is the tap I get. All right. So, Spirit, this is my shack hack. Let's see what you think of this. Sure, 
spirit if you want to try communi communicating through that. <coughs> I may be able to understand you better. Let me ask you again. What is your name? faster than it normally does and I can't even see the display. <laughs> it's so creepy. <laughs> yeah, now the DR5 lights up. A lot of electricity in this room. What is your name? It's never scanned that fast. It, it doesn't have the capability. It's an old radio. Uh, anybody familiar with these older shack hacks knows they, they kind of scan slow, which is part of the beauty of them, but um, the kind of activity I get here is a little different. I'll turn it off. I just put fresh batteries in this too, by the way. Hello. <laughs> Blue light DR5 just came on. I think you might have broke my shack hack. 7.3 EMF. The display is gone, buddy. Sorry, I forgive you. This is awesome. Okay, so in that track, you, uh, you hear um, the... Uh, shack hack uh, just starts scanning at as fast as that sounds it, it just was the numbers were flying and then the display actually disappeared altogether um, it sounded like it slowed way down and then sped up again uh, before finally kind of going kaput so uh, then it seemed to move on to the mel meter and you can hear the ticking on the dr5 a little bit too when it it uh, touched the melmeter or broke the uh, energy field around the antenna and um, the EMF started flying around as well and the temperature does as well and uh, that's what's really what I can't really show you in a podcast and why you need to go over to my Facebook page Dark Horse Paranormal or look up Dark Horse Paranormal on YouTube so you can see uh, the video of what's really going on with the um, with the melmeter because it's not just hitting the rem it's going crazy on EMF EMF that would be like destructive or something it's changing the temperature going up to you know 
close to 200 degrees or something like that and then dropping down it wasn't you know the real temperature but it was like the whole box came under you know attack if you will and i don't think it's really an attack but yeah yeah that's that that's what you need to see but uh, i'll play some of it here uh you know to to get you started and then um you know you can look up some of that on your own also, I uh, have a SoundCloud account where I put up a lot of these clips and others, uh, including just one of these sessions that happened over a month. And, you know, again, I did a lot of them. I was going into work late. I was tired. What's <laughs> up? I sound tired in that Radio Shack uh, recording because I am. It's uh, probably three or four in the morning or something when I, I recorded that and had to, you know, get up and go to work the next day. But it was so much activity that I, I really... I really wanted to to get as much of it as I could. Uh, part of the, the delay in getting this out was I had to go back through, you know, so much data with specific things I wanted, and I hadn't cataloged it that well. So uh, organization is a plus, guys. Uh, Would have saved me a lot of time and um, getting this out to you. Okay, so coming up next is a, a clip where you'll hear the millimeter going off. This is a session I did with Seraphine and um, I think it was like the first time I I tried to measure what was going on in my own house out of fear of the activity like in a very very long time like even though I do paranormal investigations I don't usually measure my own house my own residence right uh, I didn't feel a need to until this time and hadn't done that in many many years and uh, of course was surprised and the timing of it made me feel like there was something relevant or wrong at uh, Kristen's house. And the way the responses fall, it almost sounds like one of her children is in danger. In fact, I remember calling her like three in the morning in a panic. Like, is Jacob okay? And uh, all this stuff after the session. But uh, over time, what I found is the responses were not all that relevant. Um, they even, you know, got into like knock type responses and like weird noises. I've got a recording on my SoundCloud of like a crashing sound it sounds like a guitar being tipped over and and I it's not it didn't happen you know but I heard it and I was listening in real time it made me you know jump three feet in the air um but anyways so this session with Seraphine you'll hear the um the millimeters start to go off and uh, we'll come back from that and then I think I'll play uh the clip of the millimeter just going ballistic seemingly playing music um, but here's that session. Did you know anybody in the house previously? Marky, Jacob, Kristen. Why are you making your presence? I'm not doing that. It's on. Wow, that's creeped me out. I'm getting chills. It's on its full thing. Like I'm putting my hand over it. 
The EMF is going crazy. Wow. This is this is freaky. I'm, I'm going to hold this. I want you to see it. Can you see that? Yep. Who is it in the house that you want to communicate with? Is it Marky? If it's Marky, can you light up the light again? Is it Jacob? If it's Jacob, can you please touch the light again? Please touch the light. The light won't hurt you. Can you please tell us what it is about Jacob you want us to know? Jacob is her, her 11-year-old son. Did Jacob call you? Do you know Jacob? The EMF readings, by the way, have been like crazy. I'm keeping the phone away. I don't know if you can read them. Yeah, I can speak. Is it Kristen? It's never done this for me, by the way, since I bought this this thing. And I've used it a few times. This is creeping me the fuck out. Don't be creeped out. Be intrigued. <laughs> oh, it's wild. I mean, here we, here we go. I do this for a reason. What is your worry? What is your fear with Jacob and Kristen? specifically are you there as a protector or do you just have a message is Jacob in danger If I'm the help, I need I need your help. Help us help you. Is it Bob?
something to do with Bob. It's look at that, it's lighting up and not making any noise. And I'm getting a wind in here that you can't see. It's actually moving my clothes that I just put up. Look what the fuck it's doing. It yeah. it doesn't do that. So you hear from there, even Seraphine was getting effects in her residence in Florida, you know, whereas I'm in Massachusetts. So that's pretty interesting. And uh, all right. So for the, uh, the really crazy musical millimeter stuff, again, I encourage you to go to my Facebook page to search for Dark Horse Paranormal so you can see the EMF and temperature readings and what they're doing while this is occurring. But uh in this clip, the millimeter appears to make music, and I've, I've actually got a couple videos of this. Or I just stopped, picked up my phone, was doing a session, and I'm like, oh my god, I really need to record this. This is just bananas. So here we go. playing a symphony. Spirit, that is awesome. Let's start 23 wave. Okay. Spirit song.
Paranormal pal, you're a musician. Oh, I can't play too. awesome thank you so that was that um again i did two of the videos of this and uh i actually sent them to the manufacturer and uh, to my surprise i get a response from uh, gary galka the uh, inventor of the mel meter uh named after his daughter mel um and a lot of people know that story i was very surprised and uh he you know watched them closely he uh, read back the readings and uh, the point he was making is that he had no explanation for it because um, all the the circuits, the three different circuits that are in play when I'm using it, are affected. Um, and <laughs> you know, it, it was pretty impressed. He had not seen that uh, behavior before and offered to examine the uh, millimeter, which I may do. I may send it to him. Uh, the thing is. I really haven't had this um, problem with it like prior. I'd used it on investigations and um, and I've used it since. In fact, I used it uh, last night as of this recording at the Lizzie Borden house and it acted perfectly fine. In fact, I didn't really get uh, much from the Melmeter at all, um, which is what, you know, you would typically expect. Certainly nothing bananas like this. I don't know why the activity centers around here. But this gets into the idea of uh, guardian spirits or entities, um, what someone call a guardian angel, or uh, as the sorceress previously mentioned, would call an attending demon. And uh, please understand her definition of demon is not like the Christian one at all. She calls them an amalgam of chaotic energy, things that are caused by, like, you know, a plane crash. It's an intense... Um, emotional experience that takes on a life of its own if you will um which is not uh not really that far out if you're into you know occult topics you know you know spell work in general is is kind of fundamentally about the focusing of uh intense uh emotional you know focus uh into you know a, a trying to create a, a certain outcome. Um, Thomas Sheridan, uh, another another fellow who goes by the term sorcerer, has uh, some pretty interesting stuff to say about that. And he talks about chaos magic and the use of things like roller coasters and to, you know, uh, execute a sigil, you know, at the scariest part and that kind of thing. And, um, well, that's all, you know, Good and well, I will leave it up to your your interpretation of what you think it might be. Um, I found that, uh, you know, I wasn't able to get, 
you know, communication with words, like I mentioned earlier. So uh, here's a little clip of me and Seraphine talking about it. I'm a little excited getting, you know, trying to prepare this for you guys and uh, probably talking too much. But um, <laughs> she's great. And, uh, you know, here you go. Wow, because we've had other conversations and you did include the tools in those as well. And this is the first time I'd actually seen any kind of activity that was just, with lack of better terms, so hot that it was basically peaking off all level. So I didn't expect any of that to happen, but it was really interesting that it did. That was very yeah. cool. It went off for like a month, and um, I didn't know what to, to really say about it either, honestly. Like, in this paranormal universe, if you will, and posting and stuff like that, it, it is almost like too much, right? And like, it, it seems too bizarre. Yeah, but how much bizarre is too bizarre? Because... When we're all delving into this world where everybody thinks that they're the master and everybody else is beneath them or whatever, I'm just, I'm not going to name names, but um, you know who they are. <laughs> but uh, it's pretty we're much all... a TV show. Like, I have yet to see a TV show that beat what the Melmeter did. Yeah, I know, right? So, uh, <laughs> it's like, that thing, but it also been it's like too much for people to even. Except because I, I think if I was somebody who was just coming into this field and or even an experienced person and I saw that that video of the millimeter with the temperature going to like 177 degrees, right. and things going bullshit, appears to be playing music, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, all it this that way. is going on in the millimeter. I would think, all right, you had to have. I found a way to fake that or this you have a bad unit there's something wrong with it which I, I actually began to believe even though I had validation off the other tools right 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 because that's why you were using the other tools and you brought in another tool while that was all happening to make sure the other tools weren't just being naughty so well yeah we, we had a recorder going we had a spirit yeah. going we had all those things and at different points, all three of them go kind of bullshit. I have a, a recording of the spirit, nuts. which is simply an old Radio Shack radio. Radio Shack hack. Broke the circuit so it would scan endlessly, right? Right. And it starts scanning at a speed of like, I don't know, like a fucking million. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, it doesn't even make sense. And it drained all the batteries. And it was a fresh batteries. I had just put them in. Right. I remember. Done. Done. The thing was done. The display wouldn't light up. I thought it was broken, but I put new batteries in it after the fact, um, and the display comes up, and it still works normally. But, it, you know, I have a recording of it, like, sounding ridiculous, just going, Yeah. So it died. Um, I don't know. There's other things. And what we were, what you saw, mm -hmm. um with the millimeter gone crazy, it, it seemed to, to deviate from that to the recording, uh, the recording device, the DR5, which is a Tascam device. is a very nice piece of equipment. Right. It's not a shitty piece of equipment I got on no. eBay for two bucks. It's a $100 right. recorder. Right. right. 
and it started doing weird stuff. And you hear choppiness in the recording here, all this stuff, and the light lit up on the thing. We couldn't mm-hmm. hear the recording at the time, but when I played it back, you hear that. Right. Can I add something? Sure. Now, when I've, and I have repeatedly listened to all of these recordings over and over again, and I noticed that there is a rhythm and there is, and I don't know if it's something to be completely discounted as uh, it's coincidence or anything, but there is, it's like um, when those little beats start kicking in, it's almost, it almost could be, I don't know. I want to work with that a little bit more, um, even in my spare time, to see if I can't get something out of that. Because it sounds like, like a little bit more than just random. It's it's, it's 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 too clean to be random, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. It's, it's really strange. And, and for all those listening... Um, there's no reason for me to be laying this on thick. This we we really uh, have been talking about uh, from I know Chris from uh, my previous radio network, and uh, we became really good friends. And we started delving into let's just say the darkness together, and a few things here and there. And then we we end up with his random thing this that happened, and he said, hey well, do you want to listen to some of this? And it, it turned into what you hear. Um, I don't know if he's posting it with this recording or how he's going to do this, but it's really interesting. And I, I really do, um, as a person who's seen a lot and heard a lot, and, and yeah, some stuff is junk and some stuff is completely legitimate, but I want you to open your brain and open your heart a little bit and and think of, the most odd thing that you could ever think. And I think that Chris had that moment actually. And uh, I was fortunate enough to experience some of that with him. And I thought it was really insane because I've never seen anything like it and nothing like it since. So I'm hoping we can have another moment where it does that again and maybe try to figure out what it is. It's doing it. So that's just us talking. And uh, by beats, he's talking about the musical aspect, I believe of the, uh, the Melmeter, and um, if I do send it back, I'll let you guys know the results of that, and um, that's going to pretty much conclude it for the Dark Horse Paranormal Podcast, episode number two. Um, I'd like to, again, thank Seraphine. You can catch her on WBHM-DB.com on Friday nights at 9 o'clock Eastern on her show Tripping the Void. Uh, a little shout-out to Saucer's Cagliostro, who you can find information on at cagliastrotheironring.com. Of course, I'd like to thank uh, my guest, Lucky Bell Camino. Just want to note that all the music and uh, you know sounds and uh, you hear in this podcast are recorded by me and written by me. So please do not use them without express written consent. That's all I got for you guys. Until next time. Take care of yourselves. Bye-bye.